0: And welcome to A History of Hannibal. Episode 16. The New Town. The king is dead. Long live the king. Well, that phrase isn't entirely appropriate. The semi-regal Carthaginian governor of the Iberian Peninsula is dead. Long live the semi-regal Carthaginian governor of the Iberian Peninsula. Would be much better fitting, but the first phrase does get the point across. Anyway, this is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture that Hamilcar is dead, and Hasdrubal is now in charge. I figure we'll work the episode in a similar theme to the last one. I'll quote the basic account of Polybius before using other sources, e.g. the Cambridge Ancient Histories, to help add some more layers to the canvas that Polybius has given us. So, here we go. Polybius, Book 2, Chapter 13. Throughout these years, Hasdrubal had distinguished himself By his wise and practical handling of the province. He had made great progress in promoting Carthage's interests in general, and in particular he had strengthened them by his foundation of the city, which some call Carthage, and others the New Town, since the place was admirably suited as a base for operations either in Africa or in Iberia itself. I shall find a more suitable occasion. To describe its geographical situation and explain the advantages it can offer to both these countries. The Romans suddenly perceived that Hasdrubal had gone far towards creating a larger and more formidable empire than Carthage had possessed before, and they determined to take a hand in the affairs of Spain. They became aware that during these years they had been fast asleep and had allowed Carthage to build up and equip a large body of troops. And so they tried to make up the ground they had lost. For the present, they did not venture to impose conditions, or to make war on Carthage. Because at this time, the threat of the Celtic invasion was hanging over them, and an attack was expected almost day to day. They therefore decided to try to mollify and consolidate Hasdrubal in the first place, and then to attack the Celts, and put the issue to the test of war. For they were convinced that so long as they had an enemy, such as the Celts, threatening their frontier, not only would it be impossible to control the affairs of Italy, but they would not even be able to live in safety in Rome itself. So, they first sent envoys to Hasdrubal, and concluded a treaty. According to its terms, nothing was said about the rest of Spain, but the Carthaginians undertook not to cross the Ebro under arms. Then the Romans at once threw themselves into the struggle against the Italian Celts. One of the most fiercely fought battles in Roman and Carthaginian historiography Is who was the aggressor in the Second Punic War. Whose fault is it that the two nations went to war? So much depends on this treaty. Its exact terms. But this is for later. For next week. For now, why don't we look at what Hasdrubal was doing in Spain? How was he making Carthage more formidable? Why was this new city the new town, so important. Well, according to Fabius Pictor, who we've already mentioned was one of Polybius's major sources, believed Hasdrubal's lust for power was one of the main reasons for the Second Punic War. And the story goes that Hasdrubal tried setting up a monarchy in Spain, which fell upon his death, when the Carthaginian Senate... ...confirmed Hannibal as the commander in 221. Should we believe this? Probably not. After the Second Punic War, there was a big backlash against the Barcids... ...and this is probably just character assassination. The whole lot of them are depicted as completely independent rulers in Spain. They may have had a fair degree of autonomy... ...but they were just governors, after all... So, what else do we know that Hasdrubal did? He decided to take revenge for the death of Hamilcar, and led troops against the tribe whose treachery had led to his death, the Arisi. This campaign took him north, to the upper Gaudiana, a river in Spain, but which reaches the sea in southern Portugal. The campaign was unsuccessful, and vastly increased Hasdrubal's power. He is said to have had an army of 60,000 infantry, 8,000 cavalry, and 200 elephants. Quite a nice force. He had good relations with many of the tribes, and was even married to an Iberian princess. He moved the capital from the province of Akra-Liakeh, to Mastia, where he constructed a new city, the new town. In the Punic, it is called Kart hadasht, a name identical to the mother city in Africa. Carthage is the anglicised version of the Punic for new city. When Scipio Africanus conquered it in 209, he renamed it Carthago Nova, New Carthage, so literally the new, new city. This city survived the Punic Wars and the ancient world and is the modern city of Cartagena in the region of Murcia in Spain. It is about halfway between Valencia and Malaga, about 60 miles south of Alicante. For the purposes of my own convenience, this city shall be referred to as New Carthage, from here on in, in the narrative. So, why is New Carthage such a great city? Firstly, it has a great defensive port, and I mean great defensive port. While it was at its most important in the ancient world, It has maintained this to some degree throughout history. It was a major city in Spain during the period of the Umayyad Conquest, and at present is one of the four bases of the Spanish Navy, the other three being Rota, El Ferrol, and San Fernando, it being the base of the Mediterranean fleet. As well as the military advantages in this respect, it was also quite close to much of Spain and Africa and further cemented Carthage's control on the entrance to the Mediterranean. This is not to mention the excellent natural resources, New Carthage being in proximity to silver mines. Coins have been found of this silver with the head of Hasdrubal on. If Hasdrubal had minted these, they would be excellent evidence for his plans of monarchy, but they cannot be confidently used to support this theory. There is an equal possibility that they were minted by Hasdrubal's brother-in-law, Margot, after his death. Putting a dead and highly important family member on a coin is perfectly acceptable without saying that it was done with intention of monarchy. It was a practice often performed in the Roman Republic. Speaking of Hasdrubal's death, I'm afraid we are already up to that point in the narrative. He was killed in 221 by either a Celt who had a personal grudge against the man or an Iberian slave avenging his master. Either way, Hasdrubal was now dead and the now 26-year-old Hannibal was in power. If you've liked today's show, why not visit us in all the usual places? thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com and the History Podcast's Facebook group. If you want to support the show, why not visit the website and buy something through one of the Amazon links? This way, you get a product and I get a cut of whatever you spend, without it costing you any more. If you desperately want to buy something but have no idea what you want, today is your lucky day because I have an excellent recommendation for you. A History of the Middle East by Peter Mansfield For one reason or another, whether it be the Arab Spring, trouble over Palestine, or nuclear weapons in Iran, the Middle East is usually in the news. This book is quite marvellous at explaining just why it is. Why the Middle East is the way it is. This is really great if you are completely new to the topic, as I was upon reading it. And it reads well, as all good history should do. So yes, that is truly an excellent buy, and a good use of your money. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening. Join me next week, when we get into the real path to the Second Punic War.